If you've got a Bible with you, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 60, please. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 60. Just before we turn to to the scripture, I just want to again highlight to you, um, Hope College, there's an early bird discount on the Identity Weekend, and that finishes next Sunday, so if you want to pay less for the weekend as a a whole, then please, it'd be good for you to give a registration form in with the money today or next Sunday. You can actually uh, register online as well on the website, so it's a great opportunity, but let's pray together. Father, I just thank you. Uh, that you love us and that you are for us. And I thank you that you want your people, me and everybody in this room, to not just have a relationship with the Bible that's academic or that we've got to read it, but actually that we find life in your word. And that 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 affects every fiber of our being, the relationship we have with you through your word by your spirit. So, Father, we ask that this morning that you would freshly establish our hearts on your word, establish our hearts on the truth, establish our hearts on the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that everybody, whether they feel that they are naturally intelligent or not, thank you that your intelligence and your wisdom is within them, and therefore they can receive what you are saying this morning. So I just declare that now in the name of Jesus, that we can receive your word this morning, and your word will do us much good. Amen. 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 Okay, Isaiah chapter 60. You've probably turned to it, so I better turn to it, huh? I shared this at the start of the year that God put this on my heart, and I haven't shared anything more about it since, because I wanted really God to birth something in me of this word rather than just share it I wanted to spend time and hear his heart and I really believe that this morning and tonight um, as we gather God wants wants to reveal to us afresh our righteousness in him and our position in him in order to change the world and I want to share on this probably as much as I possibly can and you know, so often you make plans and you say it would be good to share on this and you, you do programs. But I really believe that God wants me at this moment to start sharing on, on this particular passage. So I'm going to do that. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1. Could you take the echo down a bit please on the mic? Thanks John. Verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. And deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. you. The Gentiles will come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. I don't want to get into this morning a debate on Israel, but I really believe this scripture is for God's people. Put your hand up if you're one of God's people in here. So we, anyone who's become a Christian is God's person, amen? So we are God's people. The Bible is clear in the New Testament, but both Jew and Gentile make up the church. Amen? 
We are the chosen people, both Jew and Gentile, that call on the name of Christ. We are the chosen people. Can I have an amen to that? Amen. That means so be it. That means I, we agree with that. Because, you know, <clears throat> we are chosen. I remember um, one particular time when we just moved house and some Jehovah's Witnesses came to our door and I was, I was in at the time and nobody else was in. And they came to the door and, they, and they, they'd, they'd come a couple of times, you can see them walking down the road and they knocked on our door and I answered it. And I was in a hurry to get somewhere and I wasn't particularly expressing much of the love of God to them, but... They, 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 um, they started to talk about their belief and at the door. And, and I just said to them, are you chosen? And they said, no, no, we're not chosen. You know, we, we don't know if we're chosen. And I said, well, I am. And I, I, I don't need to know any more. Thank you very much. Goodbye. It wasn't my finest moment. But there, there, was, there was truth without grace. But, but, the, but the truth is that we are chosen. Before the foundation of the earth, we are chosen. And... Can I also say this, that I believe everybody who's, who, who lives in this world is chosen. They've just got to turn up to the choice and the call Amen. of God. Amen. So we've responded to God's choice, haven't we? Yeah. And, and, and God doesn't want us to leave it there, that we've just responded to his choice. He wants us to grow in him in such a way that we change the world around us. Can you say amen to that? I, I know it sounds grandiose, but when I read the Bible and I hear Mary and Elizabeth talking about through them the deliverance of the whole world's coming, I think we're in good company when we think that God wants to change the world through us, amen. just as he did through those two ladies, didn't he? Yeah. He brought John the Baptist and Christ through those two ladies. Yeah. That changed the world. And therefore, sometimes we, we have low expectation and, and, and partial vision of how God wants to use us. And it's because we, we still don't know, and I say this for myself as well, we still don't know who we are. Because if we really started to know who we are, we'd have a confidence in this life that was above all the natural circumstances that come, all the challenges that come, and all the people that say we can't do it, we would have a confidence above that. You know, Jesus knew he was a son. He knew he was beloved. And even though the Pharisees and the religious people didn't like the fact that he was saying that, didn't like the way he was operating, didn't like that he was healing people on the Sabbath, how dare you heal people who need healing when we're supposed to have a religious day? I mean, it just doesn't, it just, it just blows my, my thinking, this religious way people responded to a son. And you can guarantee you that if we start to get hold of our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, who Christ is in us, if we start to come into the sonship in our experience that God has for us, there'll be many religious people that will not like it. There'll be many people that will pick fault in you, will make you look, try and make you look like a fool because that's what they did with Jesus and Jesus says that no servant is greater than his master. If they did it with him, they'll do it with you. But we've got to start to come into our sonship. Amen? Anyway. And it's time to arise and shine. It's time to display the many-sided wisdom of God. It's time to display the power and the love and the light and the grace of God in this generation. And you may be listening to me today thinking, 
<coughs> I feel far away from what you're saying. I'm just struggling to get through the week. But I tell you, if we start to establish our hearts on the Word of God, establish our heart on what God says about us, instead of establishing our heart on what people have said about us that's negative, what the parents said about us, or the teacher at school that was negative, or perhaps somebody at a peer level, or a trauma or a circumstances, sometimes we can spend our entire life being defined by what's wrong with us, instead of letting God's definition change and establish our heart on the truth that we are more than conquerors because he loved us. I honestly believe that God is speaking to the church about healing of the heart. But he's not speaking to the church about healing of the heart to get our focus on us and our problems. He's speaking to us about healing of the heart because that is a, is a coupling, a twin with being established in who you are in Christ. That when you realize that who you are in Christ, you don't want stuff that holds you back anymore. When you start to realize you're a son, you don't want to be acting like an orphan anymore. And you allow God to come in and start healing you up. Amen? Amen. So th- this isn't the, the whole... And I think sometimes in the church we have, we have kind of two extremes. And the, the Proverbs say avoid all extremes. You know it says that? A wise man avoids all extremes. We have one extreme where people in the church are saying it's all about healing the heart. You know, go to this program, go to this deliverance and everything will be, you know, you'll get better because we need to focus on that. And then on the other side, you've got people who think we don't need the healing of the heart. We're just a brand new creature. Everything's fine. No, no problem. And both, both extremes are just that. They're extremes. God wants us to be on his narrow road of salvation. We're going to look at this in a bit. Where we allow the Holy Spirit to heal us up on the inside. But why are we allowing the Holy Spirit to heal us up? Because we're finding out who we are. We're focusing on Jesus. And we're finding out that we're a son just like Jesus. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, Oh, this, this, may, this may really rattle some religion. Turn to somebody and say, I am just like Jesus. Well, Jeff, that's heresy. I don't know if I can believe that. I, I, I'm convinced that the church needs to get hold of the fact that we are just like Jesus. Amen. Yes, Jeff, positionally we're just like Jesus, but in our experience, we're nothing like Jesus. Yeah, but that's not supposed to be our end product. We're supposed to allow the position we have in Christ to become our experience in life. Amen? Tell me to me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, but this, this message today is not going to be a 20-minute ditty about how things are wonderful and you're wonderful and everything's wonderful. I don't want to offend anybody and therefore let's go home and have a nice day. This message is going to be a deep message that's going to cut to the heart to say... To, to give us to get us to a point of decision to say, am I going to establish my life and my heart on what God says about me, or am I going to establish my life and my heart on the stuff that just happens to me? The stuff that seemingly has happened to me that's been really awful and negative, am I going to let that define me? Am I going to let God's word over my life define Amen. me? 
I'm not belittling what we've been through. And I know many of us have been through some real tough stuff. But we've got to make a decision at some point to decide to establish our identity on what God says about us rather than what that stuff has produced in our life. There's got to, you see, that, that's why I, I don't get sometimes a Christian's approach to the to teaching of the Word of God. We don't need more teaching. We don't need more teaching. Yes, we do. We need much more teaching than we get. Not teaching about rubbish, but teaching about who we are in Christ. Teaching about what God says about us. Because you've spent years and years, some of us, establishing our heart on stuff that actually holds us back in life. Establishing our heart, oh, we're just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not just a sinner saved by grace. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know that whole phrase, a sinner saved by grace... It, 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 I believe God hates that phrase. Why? Because when you read in Corinthians, I think it's chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 14, something like that. Or maybe 2 Corinthians 6, 14. So I'm just checking. I want to check he's right here. But basically, it's in Corinthians somewhere. And it says this. <clears throat> what fellowship does light have with darkness? Or righteousness with wickedness? So in this religious statement, we put the word sinner in with the phrase saved by grace. And God is saying to us, that is an abhorrence to him. We are not a sinner saved by grace. When you got born again, you, you, you were a sinner, but you were transformed to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Regardless of all the other stuff that God is working through in your heart, you have a spirit of faith on the inside, and we have the propensity now to act in faith instead of in fear. Because God's spirit lives within us. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, but we've been established in unbelief and doubt for so long, and we expect to get by on a 20-minute sermon now and again. Brothers and sisters, it can't be. God wants us to establish our heart on his word. Establish our heart on what he says about us. Establish our, not on second-hand revelation, but get in the scripture and find out who you are. Jesus did it. He says, this book testifies about me. You know, this book testifies about you. I'm not getting many amens, but I'm okay. I'm the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, here we go. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I'm reading from the New King James Version. This is the last <clears throat> verse I'll read from this version today. In the NIV, it really messes this verse up. I'll just be honest with you. Oh, I don't like, I love the NIV. It's sacred, sacred the NIV. Well, let me just say this to you, that in this particular verse, it doesn't translate it properly from the Greek. Okay, and you can study out yourself to see if what I'm saying is so. 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 14, in the NIV it says, come to your senses and do not sin. That is a ridiculous translation of that verse. In the, in the Greek and in the New King James, the NASB, ESV, it says this, awake to righteousness and sin not. Can you see the difference? Come to your senses means come to your five physical senses and you won't sin. That's the problem. We live in our five physical senses. That's why we're always messing up. But if we awake to righteousness... If we awake to who we really are, I'm praying this is going in your heart, not over your head. If we awake to who we really are this morning, we'll, we'll not bother with sin anymore. We just, won't want to, we just won't want to do it anymore. We just don't want to do it anymore. 
Awake to righteousness. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So God wants us to arise and shine. He wants to awake to who we are. Amen? He wants us to wake up to who we are. He wants us to wake up to who we are. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Righteousness is portrayed sometimes as a set of rules and a set of laws that we've got to keep to be righteous. That is not what God is talking about here. He's saying, awake up to the fact that you are the righteousness of God and you, what you'll start, your behavior will start to match what you see about yourself. If you wake up to who you are, your behavior will start to match. Amen? What religion has taught us is we've got to keep these rules to be righteous. And if we keep them very well, we're more righteous than somebody else. And therefore we can pray, I thank you God that I'm not like him. I thank you God that I'm not like her. No, that's pharisaical nonsense. God wants us to realize that we are the... You, you can't be any more righteous than you are today. Amen. You can't be any more righteous in your state of being than you are right now. I've got to become more righteous. I've got to become more holy. You are holy. You are righteous. Just be who you are. It's really important we get this because you may say, well, I've got this. But I'll tell you when we know our hearts established in this stuff. When, when we know our hearts established in this stuff, we will be changing the world. That'll be the outcome. So until we're changing the world, we need to get our heart established in this. So if I preach this message every Sunday for the next five years until we get established in this, I'm not saying I'm going to, but it may be a good idea to get established in this. More than anything else, to get established in the righteousness that's in Christ Jesus. That our heart doesn't condemn us, that our heart believes that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Till we get to that stage. So we stop saying negative stuff over ourselves. We stop saying negative stuff over other people. I can guarantee within a few minutes of listening to somebody or a few minutes of encounter with somebody, if they don't hold back in conversation, I can guarantee that I will, I will know if they are establishing themselves in righteousness or they're establishing themselves in insecurity and a wrong identity of themselves and that's where they're established. And you know what? God hates it. He hates his children to demean themselves. If, if, if my children ever demean themselves and say, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that, it hurts my heart. How much more our Heavenly Father? When we demean ourselves by religious attitudes and by, by men's wisdom, instead of realizing who we are in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> more than this, brothers and sisters, it doesn't just demean ourselves when we do it, it demeans the work of the cross. When we start saying, I can never change, and I can never do this, and I can never achieve that, nothing is impossible with God. And it's time we we stop having this British sort of cynicism and half-glass-empty mentality and become kingdom people. And kingdom people are people that know they're sons and know they're righteous. Amen? Oh, Father, I've got through about two scriptures. Anyway... So, awake to righteousness and sin not. Go over to the book of James. The book of James. 
as I was preparing late last night and this morning, I, I, just, I just felt this sense of, of, of God saying to me powerfully that, that the church, people, people in the church, we look for superstars just like people in the world look for superstars. We look for a superstar, maybe a local superstar, maybe a superstar on television in the Christian culture, and we think, wow, they're great, they're great. But I just felt the Holy Spirit shout on the inside of me this morning, I want you to tell my people to stop looking for superstars and realize they are a superstar. Amen. I just, I just had to release that because Amen. I really felt God saying that this morning, that you all are superstars to him. Yes. That's how he feels about you. That's yes. what he believes in you. Better get to the book of James, huh? Thank you, Lord. What's happened to you, Jeff? Last week you're all soft and quiet speaking, and now this has happened. I, I don't know what's happened, but I, I think it's a good thing. James chapter 1. Amen. Chapter 1. Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, <clears throat> get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. What a powerful scripture. Let's just, let's just break it down a little bit because it's in context of what I want to say about our righteous identity. First of all, it's saying we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I believe this is talking about our relationship with God. We need to listen to Him more than we speak at Him. And when we do speak, we need to make sure we're speaking from a heart that's established in who we are. I believe that's a good thing generally to do. And then it says, be slow to become angry. If you look at the word in the Greek there, to be angry, it's not just talking about being upset. You know, God gets upset in the Bible. Sometimes he gets angry. It's not talking about, it's talking about a specific kind of anger. It's talking about an anger that desires punishment of other people. Do you see? So the James is saying, you need to be quick to listen Slow to speak and even slower to want to punish somebody else. Because that's not the righteous. That doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. Or also, I believe, punish yourself. You know, when we mess up sometimes, we get so angry with ourselves and we want to punish ourselves. You know, in the old, old days, some people who were religious, they put barbed wire around their thigh to, to try and, you know, give some penitence to themselves and sit on it and it hurts. They do all sorts of stuff to try and be better people. But that sort of stuff, the Bible says here, it doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. Any works of the flesh, any, any, op any opportunity that we take to try and have self-righteousness and get better on our own, it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Because we're already the righteousness of God. We, start, we need to wake up to who we already are. You know, this is the same pattern right from the beginning. Do you remember Satan in the garden? He says to them, if you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. They already were. That's right. They already were. He was selling them something they already had, and he couldn't give it to them anyway. 
And that's what religion does because Satan's behind all religion that doesn't line up with Christ. So religion says to you, if you do this and do that, you'll be more like God. You already are like him. But what about the mess in my heart? Let the Holy Spirit deal with that. I've I've got to grasp for something else. Not just be at peace with who you are in Christ. It's really important, brothers and sisters. This is not pushing under the carpet issues that we have. It's saying, I know the issues are there, and I can see them, but I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I'm going to deal with them from that position, not under the issues. Oh, I can't, I need help, I need this, I need this. No, I'm going to deal with them from my position of authority and righteousness. Are you with me so far? And it says here, get rid of moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So it's saying be open to God to get rid of stuff, but be humble enough to realize that you need the word planted in you. You know, Jesus talked about this. He talked about deliverance. And he talked about the fact that if a person has a spirit cast out of them, and the place is swept clean, and they they feel a lot better because it's been cast out, he says, if, 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 it just, if it's left clean and swept out and hollow, seven more will come back. It's very important that as we allow God to heal up our heart, we're also humble enough to plant his word in our hearts. To fill up, to, to establish our heart on his word instead of the stuff that we were listening to before. Yes. Do you hear me? Yes. Establish ourselves on what he says about us, not what other people say about us. It it is the most important thing. It's the most important thing that we can spend our time and our minds on. Establishing ourselves in what God says about us. Well, I don't want to do that. I haven't got time to. That's fine. I haven't got time to do it. But I'm talking to somebody today who has had enough, who wants to do this. Who doesn't want to just live a mediocre life anymore, but wants to establish their heart on who they are in Christ Jesus. Is anybody like that this morning? You know, these words are quite interesting in this verse when it talks about get rid of moral filth and get rid of um, evil. These two words, when you study them out, they... They give you pictures. You know, words paint pictures, don't they? And these words, they paint pictures from the Greek language. And one of the pictures these words paint is, is, is literally the same phrase as used in the Greek to, to describe somebody who has excess, excess wax in their ears. Get rid of the excess, excess wax and you'll be able to hear. Get rid of the moral filth. Get rid of the stuff that stops you hearing God. It's interesting, a few weeks ago, during the message that Ian was bringing, Philip had this wax problem and it just popped open, didn't it? And I I just thought that was a sign and a wonder that morning that that happened to you. And I just just felt, I was meditating on what happened to you as I was preparing this word. And I felt there's something about the fact that it happened to Philip. So I think, what does Philip's name mean? So I study Philip's name. It means a lover of horses. I can't, that's not, that's, you know, somebody who loves animals, loves horses and so forth. But it's, it's not that. But then God said to me this, Philip the evangelist. He's in the Bible, isn't he? Philip the evangelist. And I just felt that what happened to you was a sign and a wonder, a herald saying, it's time, brothers and sisters, to let the word come in 
And let the excess wax be removed out of your life. Let the stuff that gets in the way of you being you and you hearing God the way you need to hear him, let it be washed out. And get, you know, when you, if you ever have a problem with that and you go to the doctors, they offer two things. They offer olive oil to pour in to get rid of the wax and they offer a syringe of water. So what's required to get rid of the stuff in our hearts that we don't want there? Oil and water. The oil of the Holy Spirit and the water of the Word. Two things are required. Not just oil, not just water. We need the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Word in our heart to get rid of stuff that's not there. We are destined to live a life without the stuff that drags us down and stops us being the amazing people God has called us to be and God sees us to be. God can heal our heart everywhere we hurt, but he wants us to establish ourselves in the fact that we are righteous before him. Not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen? Oh, Father, I pray somebody gets this today. Go with me to another scripture. Go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Okay, I will. I'm going to say this, and this may shock some people. But I don't believe there's any point in meeting together as the church, whether in small group or in large group, whether there's any point in being a Christian just for namesake. If we are not, when we're together, if we are not establishing our heart on who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us, I don't see the point. I don't see the point. We can have great revelation of the restoration of all things and the second coming of Jesus. We can have great revelation and great understanding of those things. But if we still have not established our hearts on who we are in Christ, we ain't going to do what God wants us to do. And I believe the church is a training ground. It should be a training ground to help us do that. Amen? Amen. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 13, it says, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved. That's powerful, isn't it? God chose you from the beginning to be saved. (coughs) Turn to somebody and say, God chose you to be saved. Now, what does that word, what does save mean? Saved is not, God chose you for a ticket to heaven. Woohoo! No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean you have a miserable existence and just get by and then you're going to heaven. Woohoo! It'll be, all be better. And we sing songs of how it's going to be so much better in heaven. Woo! God wants heaven to come to earth through his people. And salvation means this. Wholeness, rescue, deliverance, healing. That's what salvation means. It doesn't mean a ticket to heaven. It means bring heaven now into your heart and into your life. You were chosen for this. You were chosen to be rescued, to be delivered, to be whole, to be healed. Man, brothers and sisters, if, if, this doesn't, if this doesn't get you on fire, your wood's wet. And get on fire this morning. Because God has chosen you For wholeness in life. You don't have to receive the bill of goods the enemy's put on you. You are chosen for wholeness in life. 
Well, I just don't believe that. That's okay because your heart and my heart's not fully established on this stuff. But we will be established on it if we want to be. But we have to make a decision. And a lot of pastoral ministry is going around the same old houses and the same old mountains with people because they don't want to make a decision to establish their heart on who they are. And I can be in that category too. So I'm not condemning anybody this morning. But we've got to realize that God's, God, want, God wants to bring so much salvation, so much soteria, so much wholeness into our lives. But we've got to decide to establish in our heart on, on the things that, that, that will build us up, which is the, our identity in Christ Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit can come in and you can have the biggest yabba dabba do deliverance healing going. Amen. Bring it on. Been there, done that. Want more of it. But if it's just that and we're not establishing ourselves and our identity, then we're missing something. Let's read on in this. He chose you to be saved through sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. So how is wholeness coming into your life? Through the work of the Holy Spirit and through us deciding to believe the word. To establish in our hearts. It's a two-pronged work of God. And if it's just one we accept, well, I just accept the word, brother. Well, I just accept the, the spirit, sister. No, we need the word and the spirit both to be working in our lives. We need to allow the Spirit to establish, the Word to establish in our hearts. Well, you know, I just love the Holy Spirit, but I don't like the Bible. Oh, oh, the Bible talks about you on every page, that you are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Establish your heart in it. Amen. He has called you to this. Through our gospel, that you may share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sing about glory, dance about glory. God wants us to live and manifest his glory. And it starts by establishing our heart. You know, when John shared this morning about, I suppose, the nature of God and and, and the immovability of what he says, and he, he does what he says... Guys, when we talk about these sort of things, they are not just fact, they are established truth. God has made you the righteousness of himself in Christ Jesus. And that is, that is, that is a more established truth than how we feel. Right. You see, the enemy does three things. He comes in, the only three things he can do is number one, he can tempt. Number two, he can deceive. And number three, he can accuse. And what the enemy does, he tries to tempt us to do stuff that is against our nature. But if we don't know our nature, it's easier for him to do it. When you start to know that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the way you look at stuff that you used to do and used to be involved with, you think, my, how could I ever think that way? When you start to establish yourself. How could I ever thought that way? 
And what he does is he, he tempts you into that stuff. Then when you do it, he accuses you about it. And he deceives you to thinking, because you've done that stuff, you're no longer the righteous of God. Well, if you were the righteous of God, you wouldn't have done what you did last night. If you were the righteous of God, you wouldn't have that attitude right now. If you are the righteous of God, you wouldn't be messing about with that person. And you think those are your thoughts. The problem is you don't realize that every thought that's against your nature and identity in Christ is not your thought. It may be in your head, but it doesn't originate in your spirit. Are you with me? Every negative thought about you, about somebody else, about God, is not your thought now because you're the righteousness of God. And you are, like Einstein says, we can think thoughts after God. Amen. Dreams, everything. To establish ourselves on this stuff. Instead of being established on the stuff that's got us in the mess in the first place. It's really, really important. Hmm. Lord, we're running out of time, haven't we? Okay, go with me to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to finish there today. Lord, I thought that would be... I can pick it up tonight. Can I ask can I ask us brothers and sisters <laughs> I don't want to spend the next 10 15 years you know just playing at church I want to I want to establish myself and ourselves on righteousness Amen. on our identity in him And and if 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 you're sitting there thinking when is he going to finish I've got chicken in the oven my word all right guys this is, this is more important than chicken in the oven. <laughs> Frankly. Let the chicken burn. Let it burn. You want a, want a hellfire message? Let the chicken burn. Amen? What are you doing now? You're investing yourself in something that matters. Amen? Let it burn! So let's go to Philippians chapter 2. You know, all my preaching life I wanted to say that, so I did it. But in the right context. Philippians. And if you're a vegetarian, let the mango burn or whatever it is. Or the butternut squash or whatever. Okay, Philippians chapter 2. Where's Philippians gone, Lord? There we go. Okay. Philippians chapter 2. I've got to finish with this this morning. So much more I want to say, but I'll finish with this. Verse 5. Read this a different way to you've ever read it before. Open your heart and your eyes to, to listen to this in a different way. Here we go. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The New King James says, let this mind be in you, establish in your heart and your mind the same thing 
that was in Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But made himself of no reputation. Taking on the nature of a servant. We know the rest because we kind of usually focus on the rest of it. I want to focus on this bit today. In the New King James it says, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider it robbery to be called equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. What's my point? God is saying to us, we need the same attitude as our Savior. We need the same heart as our Savior. And what was that heart? That we have equality with God. Oh no, brother. No, no, no. God is up there and we're down here. No, God is in you. Amen. You're fused together with God. When he died, you died. When he rose, you rose. You're, 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 dare I say, you are a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. In your spirit. And when you wake up to that, we can start to kick out the stuff that's no longer our identity. Sometimes the problem is because we've banged on about new creation and we've not dealt with the sanctifying work of the Spirit, we then throw the baby out of the bathwater and say we don't need the new creation teaching. Yes, we do. It's in the Scripture. You are a new creation. You're an entirely new species of being. And from that place of righteousness and identity, you can deal with the stuff that's held you back for so long. Don't kick it out. Let the truth of the word and the Holy Spirit change us from the inside. He didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. Well, I'm not equal with God. I, you know, I'm just Bob from Keithley. How can I be equal with God? Well, God is saying that he's given you doesn't the Bible say we're a joint heir with Jesus? Yes. Oh, God is, God, God is so... You may religiousize it, but the Bible says that we are sons of God. And when Jesus said he was the son of God, the religious people at the time tried to stone him because he was saying he's equal with God. Moses, the prophet in the Old Testament, said over the people, don't you realize you are God's? It's also, I just sense sort of religious demons screaming in the room at the moment. But I tell you, it's so important we get this. Amen. We are not a sinner saved by grace. We are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. We are here to display God-like quality in the earth. You know, Paul says this, he says, train yourself or establish yourself in godliness. What does that mean? Establish yourself in cleanliness. Tidy up more. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, establish yourself in God-likeness because that's what you're made to be in Christ Jesus. Is, is anybody getting this? Yeah. Or is anybody, oh, I don't want to get this. This is too, too much. Well, that's fine. You know, we'll work on it. Let's finish a bit, few verses later. Go with me to verse 12. Therefore, verse 12, therefore, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. So therefore means in context of what went before. So Paul is saying, we actually have the same mind as Christ, the same attitude as Christ. 
that we have, we're joint heir, that we're equal with God to display his wonder. And because of that, we can make ourselves a servant. When you know who you are, you don't mind doing whatever is needed to be done. Amen? Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act, to do according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. <laughs> what a picture that the believer is supposed to shine like a star in the universe, in the universe, not just the earth, holding out the word of life. Well, Paul, that's a bit melodramatic. No, this is our inheritance to shine like stars. Arise, shine, for your light has come. It's time to shine like a star. But if we can't start to establish our heart on this stuff and start to take it in and listen to it for more than half an hour without getting upset about it, then we will never establish ourselves. I want to just say a few things before we close. It's a really good job that God's delivered me from wanting to be popular, isn't it? A few more things before we close. <clears throat> when Paul, this whole, this whole few verses I've read, they paint another picture. Paul was an artist in the inspiration God gave him to write the letters. And this paints a picture, these verses I've just read. He talks about, first of all, obeying God or hearing his voice. Then he talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think that sounds awful, doesn't it? Well, the word fear there literally means this. A woman who has reverence for her husband. You know, Christ is the husband to the church, isn't he? So God wants us to work out our salvation in reverence to our husband, Christ. What does that mean? It means we've in reverence to Christ and what he did, it's about time we started to establish our hearts on righteousness and our, our identity in him. If we really re reverence Christ and not just sing about it on a Sunday morning, it's about time we started to establish our heart on this stuff and gave it our attention. This is strong, Jeff. I, I may leave the church. That's fine. As long as you establish your heart on the light, I don't care where you are, as long as you start to establish your heart on the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If I can get that in your heart this morning, that's going to help. So he says, work out your salvation. Are you saying you've got to work, you know, work to get salvation? No. He's saying you've got to establish your heart on what God has done through salvation for you. Do you see what I'm saying? Now look at the word trembling there. It says fear and trembling. This word trembling paints the picture of somebody who is anxious about falling to the trap of trusting their own ability. So God is saying, 
let's establish ourselves on what he's purchased for us in salvation, his righteousness, his identity. Why are we doing that? Out of reverence for Christ and because we don't want to fall into the trap of trying to think that we can save ourselves or we're good enough on our own. Without Christ, we're nothing. But in Christ, we're the righteousness of God. So when you read a scripture, go deeper. Because sometimes the English translation, because you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I've got to be afraid of everything. No. He's saying you've got to have reverence for, for Jesus. How do you have reverence for Jesus? By actually saying, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Instead of saying, I'm a sinner and I'm an unworthy worm, to start to say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No matter what I do. I'm the righteousness of, Christ, righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My behavior and my work and my doings will follow who I am. Amen? Amen. Yes. And if we want reverence to Christ, if we're saying, brothers and sisters, that Jesus is our Lord, and Jesus is our Savior, and we sing to Jesus, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, let's have reverence enough to accept what he says about us yes. and about each other. This picture is taken from the Old Testament. Paul was saying that if you, if you start to do this, establish your heart on salvation, establish your heart on righteousness, you're going to shine like stars in a, a crooked and perverse generation. And you know, the religion in you, when you read that, you say, oh, you're out there, they're all crooked, they're all perverse. Arr. No, he's not making that point. I want to read it to you from a different version. This is the mirror translation. Your lives exhibit the message of life. You are positioned like the stars in the night sky, superimposed and radiating light, which shining, which the shining pierces the darkness. Thus you confirm the day of the Lord and complete my joy and shine like stars in a generation of people that don't know who their father is. The world is waiting for a people to arise who know who their father is. It's taken from this scripture. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, forgive me if I'm going on too long. Well, actually, I don't need to be forgiven. Deuteronomy chapter 23. Just turn there for a minute. This will bless you if you can get past the offense of me going on a bit too long. This will bless you. Deuteronomy 32, sorry. This is the scripture that Paul is quoting from when he's quoting in Philippians chapter 2. He is, Deuteronomy 32, read verse 4 and 5 and then verse 18. Verse 4, he is the rock, the wor his works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. They have acted corruptly towards him to their shame, they are no longer his children, but a warped and crooked generation. They don't know that they're his children. Next one, verse 18. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. Paul is talking about this crooked generation. And we're here to shine like stars to say you have a father that loves you. I've got a relationship with him. 
and he loves you just as much as he loves me. He's made me righteous. Not because of what I've done on my good record, because of his good record. And it says, interesting in that verse, it says, the rock that fathered you. The rock there is Jesus. And the word fathered there in the Hebrew means this. Somebody who birthed you in great pain. That's what Jesus did at the cross for us, didn't he? It also means this. Somebody who whirled you around, dancing with you to change you into a son. Isn't that powerful? Yes. The great dance. The, I was, I was, last night I was Googling that old song, Lord of the Dance, yeah. <laughs> because of this verse. Yeah. It's written by somebody who, anyway, I won't go into it, but the, some of the lyrics are powerful. This beautiful God, Jesus Christ, who danced with us at the cross to transform us from darkness to light, from orphans to sons. And he did it so that we could shine like stars in the midst of a generation who don't know their father and bring them to know him. We have a responsibility, brothers and sisters, to establish our hearts. Would you stand with me, please? Close your eyes in his presence. Each one of us in this room, you heard this word, as a personal responsibility to make a decision whether you are going to go on a journey to allow what God says about you to be your final authority and establish your heart on that or to continue to let what has formed you up to now in circumstance be the definition and identity in your life. Each one of us has that responsibility to establish our hearts in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I want to help you in the days and weeks to come to establish yourself as I establish myself more. Because that's what God wants for us. To shine like stars. To know our Father and to present a Father to a world that desperately needs Him. Shine like stars. Don't go looking for the superstar. Start shining like stars Amen. in this generation. Amen. You'll do the things he did. Yes, Don't run after miracles. Let miracles run after you. Yes, Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. And yes, I, Oh, Father. God puts it this way in Isaiah 8. Here are the children you've given me. They're a sign and a wonder. Oh, Father. Father, I ask that you would enlarge our capacity to receive your word so we can establish our hearts on this stuff. Let us not walk away from this stuff, and, uh, but let us establish ourselves on it. Let us humbly receive today. But what about this? But what about that? No, humbly receive today Amen. the word of God. Amen. Father, bless every single life in this room and let them this week start to establish their hearts on your righteousness and to shine like stars. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want ministry this morning,